So we're finishing up our series on the state of the church, uh, this, this time that we've, we've spent, these last four, now five weeks, uh, just looking at the church that we are all members of, the church established by Jesus, the Catholic Church, looked at the purpose and the mission of the church. We've looked at the church and how it's, it's kind of behaved, how members have behaved from biblical times, throughout history, even in our own time. And ultimately what we've seen in the last few weeks is we've seen that the church is basically like this big mess, right, where there's this struggle even within the church, the people of God, this struggle where there are some who are righteous and who are pursuing to live their lives in sincerity and faithfulness to God, and there are others who are wicked, those who are uh, not trying to live their lives in sincerity, in obedience to the commands of the Lord, and then everyone in between, maybe where there's some struggles and that kind of thing, and, and so like this is, this, is, this is the mess that is the church, but, but from within that, even within that mess, we talked about how the Lord still calls us all the same, which is he calls us to be his disciples, to be people that strive to follow after him, to learn from him so that we might imitate him. That's what it is to be a disciple. We actually heard about this in our second reading. Paul finishes the second reading by saying what? Be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. So Paul ultimately is calling the Corinthians to be disciples, uh, to, to look at how I model, Paul is saying, as I, as I model after Jesus, do the same thing. Uh, so that's, that's the call of the Lord for us. Now, today we finish by kind of turning from the past, turning from even the present, and starting to look toward the future, to, to see, like, what does the future of the church look like? Um, and and this, is, this is actually kind of a, a difficult question for me as I've been thinking about it all week, because there's a couple of different ways that a person could look at the future of the church. Of course, my, my mind naturally would go toward looking toward the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of life in the church, and it's like, what is that going to look like? And we will talk about that. But as I, as I think about that, the next, you know, 20 years or so, I just, I can't help but think of like, but that just falls so short, you know, because what is, what is the ultimate goal here? The ultimate goal is that, that Jesus is going to come again and he's going to judge us. And that judgment is going to come again, either when he comes again or when we die. And once we die, once that judgment comes, then time becomes different for us. Time as we know it stops and we enter into eternity. So to look at things from this perspective of just the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it, it's a worthwhile thing to do for sure, and we will do it, but it's also like, it's, it's, it's a little bit short-sighted. And so what I want to do before we look at uh, the, the next few years in the life of the church, I want to look at eternity. <laughs> like what, what is the future of, of those uh, who are in the church? What, like individual members? I mean, sure, communally, absolutely, because heaven is, is, it's like a, the church is like a prefigurement of heaven where, where we are, will be members of a community, but also individual members of that community. So like, what, what, is, what does that look like? And that's, that's ultimately what I want to I look at because everything else is just a little bit too short-sighted, even while we will take time to look at it. And, and as I was, I was thinking about this, I was, I was just thinking about like, okay, when we talk about eternity, when we talk about like the future prospects that, that we have in Christ, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing because... What we have to do more than anything is we have to look to Jesus. And we have to look at what he teaches. Because I was, I was thinking about this, this just this morning. Uh, it was actually a really helpful thing because when I, when I preach a homily, really any homily, but especially when I preach about like this kind of thing, you know, I want to I wanna think of, like, I got to say just the right thing that's going to convince them to really embrace their Catholic Christian faith. I, I want to say just the right thing that's going to, you know, bring about conversion and that kind of thing. And that, that's absolutely true. But what I was also thinking about is like, that's not necessarily my job. I, I can't convince you of anything. Sometimes I have a tough time convincing myself of things. I, I can't convince you that this is a worthwhile thing. I can try and I can do my best to do that, but 
ultimately, what we're going to find as we look at Jesus is that he tells us, it's kind of up to you. Now, not everything is up to you. Of course, everything, like so much is up to Jesus. Like he has to provide the opportunity. He has to provide the grace. He has to provide the salvation. But the thing is that he does provide it. And so, so much actually depends on you and what you think, what you believe. Jesus himself says this. Now, now I, I know that, that some of us maybe have different ideas about Jesus. Some of us have, have uh, different sources of information about Jesus, whether that's our, our own thoughts, our own feelings, whether that's uh, what we've been taught about him, whether that's from the Bible. But what I want, what I want to tell you and what, what I think is super important, if we, if we don't know anything about Jesus from the Bible, right? if we can't trust the Bible, then we have no real way to know anything about Jesus, this, this is the authority. And now, of course, we've been talking about the church, and so the church also is an authority on Jesus. But even what the church teaches about Jesus, about what he teaches, about who he is, it flows from the Bible. So if we don't believe in what the Bible says that Jesus did and taught, then we don't really know anything about him. It's just based on my feelings and what makes me feel best. So what I want to do, actually, before, or, or as we start talking about the, the long-term future of the church, that is your long-term future or mine, is I want to look at something that Jesus says. So in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, this is the time where he's like starting his public ministry. He's, he's preaching and teaching and people, large crowds are coming to him. And they're just like, they're, they're coming and they're listening to him and he's teaching his disciples. In other words, he's teaching people how or what it means to be one of his disciples. So these two chapters are, are, these three chapters are really, really important. So in chapter seven, so toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, Jesus, he says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus even here is talking about a future forecast of sorts, where he says, look, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, there are two ways that you can go. There's one way that is wide and easy, and, and, and it, it's, it's super easy, and many people actually go in this direction. But this way that is wide and easy, it leads to what? It leads to destruction. Other translations say it leads to damnation. And there's this other way that you could go, and it's hard and it's narrow, but the end result is that it leads to life. So he lays out, these are these two ways that you could go, the wide and easy way that leads to damnation, or the, the hard and narrow way that leads to life. And then Jesus, he says this really fascinating thing. Jesus, who we understand typically in our, our current church culture, we talk about Jesus as though he's so compassionate and patient and loving and merciful and kind, and he is those things, but that Jesus, what does he say? He says, that many people go the way that leads to destruction and few people go the way that leads to life. So this is the thing. It's like I'm, I'm fully aware that I can't convince you that this is a worthwhile thing to be a disciple of Jesus. But what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that Jesus can convince you of that. That you have two options, he says. One of those options is easier than the other one. One of, those, one of those options is harder than the other one. But one of them, the easy one, leads to damnation, and the, the harder one leads to life. 
And so he's calling us, of course, like, enter through the narrow gate, he says. Right? So, like, that's, that's what I'm hoping that, that we can, like, so, so you can see how, I, how I'm saying this. Like, so much of this depends on you and what you believe. Do you believe what Jesus teaches? Now, I know that in, in some ways I'm, like, preaching to the choir. I know that there are people here who are really going for it, who are, who are striving to enter through the narrow gate. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But what I also know is that there are other people in here who are wanting or tending or are on the wide and easy path that leads to destruction. I know that there are people here who maybe are, for various reasons, fairly casual about your Catholic Christian faith, fairly casual about attending Mass, fairly casual about going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, fairly casual about what you do between Sundays and how you live out your Catholic Christian faith, whether you spend time in prayer or whether you don't, whether you're living the moral life or whether you're not. And so for those people, my hope and my, my prayer actually is that, that you would hear these words from Jesus and, and turn and repent because this, this is the thing, like this is the good news that maybe this is a little bit of a hard word to talk about how, how many people go the way that leads to damnation and only few people go the way that leads to life. Maybe that's it's a hard word and it, surely it could be. But the good news is this, that as long as you're living and breathing, as long as I'm living and breathing, the Lord offers us fresh opportunities to repent, to turn from the wide and easy way and to go toward the way that is hard and narrow, the way that leads to life. He offers us these opportunities. This, like, this is the hopeful thing, actually, about this entire message, is that in a few minutes, I'm going to take bread and wine, and I'm going to say a prayer over them. I'm going to say the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper. And by God's miraculous grace, who works through his church, through the words and actions of his priests, by God's miraculous grace, when I say those words, when I say that prayer— the bread and the wine are going to change into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And I'm going to hold those, the, the Eucharistic Lord up in the host and in the chalice that is the precious blood. I'm going to hold those things up for you and for me to adore him. And whether you're open to it or not, what's happening? The Lord is offering you and me an opportunity for a life-changing encounter with him. And this happens Every time we offer Mass, this happens every time we, we receive any of the sacraments, this happens any time we open up the Word of God and read, read from the Scriptures, especially from the Gospels. Like, this is, this is the incredible thing, is that over and over and over again, no matter whether we are very docile, very open to the movements of the Lord, or whether we are very stubborn and hard-hearted to the movements of the Lord, over and over and over again, it's like the Lord Jesus stands in front of each one of us, and he says, I offer to you today life. I offer to you life and death. I offer to you blessing and curse, the choice. And over and over and over again, Jesus says, choose life. That's the hopeful thing. It actually doesn't matter how far down the road you are that is, that is wide and easy, the way that is leading to destruction. It doesn't matter how far down that road you are. As long as you are alive, living and breathing, the Lord still calls to you the same call that he delivers to each and every one of us, which is the call to follow him, to turn from your sins and to follow after him so that your long-term future can be much more filled with life than with destruction. That's, that's the long-term future, and that's a hopeful message. And that hopeful message actually carries its way into the next few years in the church. 
It carries its way in. Now, something, something that's absolutely true about the life of the church that we have to admit and that we all know is that the church of the future, over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and beyond, the church of the future is going to be small. It's going to be smaller than it is. And we know that that's true because the church today is smaller than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Many of you have seen it get smaller and smaller and smaller for various reasons, because of people's draw toward the world, because of poor leadership, because of false teachers and false preachers, because of our own struggle with sinfulness, whatever it is, we've seen the church get smaller and smaller and smaller, and that trend is going to continue. And this isn't like my own observation. It's not my own thought, like, like it's something original, but this actually, so Pope Benedict, so Pope Benedict was the Pope before Francis, our current Pope. Uh, pope Benedict, he said this in the 1960s, he said, the church of tomorrow will be a small church, as though everything is starting in a fresh way. But then he also says, but that, that small church, it is going to be spiritually strong. The church of the future, over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it will get smaller, but it will also get stronger. And this is a great sign of hope. This is the thing that is absolutely true. And this is something that I've seen in my short time as a priest is that the standard of the gospel, that is the standard that Jesus proposes in the gospels, the standard that the church proposes in her doctrine, that standard does not lower itself. That standard will remain high. Our doctrine will not change. The standard, the call of the gospel will remain high. And it is absolutely true that over the years, fewer and fewer people are going to be willing to rise to the occasion. But what's also true is that those who are willing to rise to the occasion, they're finding that when they rise to the occasion, that, that there's much more to this life than they actually thought. And that, that what they find is, I, I don't want to skate by by doing just the minimum. Those who are willing to rise to the occasion will rise above and beyond what is actually expected of them because they find that the life that Jesus provides through this hard and narrow way, yes, it's hard and yes, it's narrow, but what it actually provides is a kind of life that can't be found in the world. And that's the kind of life that is, it is absolutely attractive. And it's the kind of life that is worth pursuing wholeheartedly. And so this is actually something that is that's worth our hope. It's worth placing our hope in. And as I look at the church, and this church, of course, expands much, much further than beyond Grigla, much further than beyond Goodridge or Oakley. This church that I'm looking at is, is this church at large, both like in the United States, around the world, these kinds of things. What I see at, or what I see in the church of today, moving forward into the future, is we actually see that that's, there are some things that are much better than they have been over the last few years. For example, seminary formation, when a man decides that he wants to pursue becoming a priest, seminary formation, where he goes to study to be a priest, is much better than it has been during any of our lifetimes. Seminary formation, it might be the best that it's ever been, but if not the best ever, it is certainly better than it's been in like the last hundred years. What does that mean? That is ultimately good news because it means that men are being formed to be priests who are truly faithful to the gospel. It would be basically impossible for a man to make it through seminary formation today with false ideas about the gospel, with false ideas about what the church teaches, about what the church is, about what Jesus teaches and about who Jesus is. Basically impossible so that you can be confident, actually, that when you meet men who are ordained today moving forward, that these men are formed appropriately to teach you appropriately the truths of the gospel, the way that leads to life. 
This is incredibly helpful because you know that, that we live in a time right now where a person could easily say, well, I listen to this priest and I listen to these bishops and I listen to this pope. And what they're saying, it seems like it's different than these priests over here and these bishops over here and these popes of the past. And so like, this is really confusing. It's really hard to know who am I supposed to listen to? What is it that I'm supposed to believe? Those days, you guys, they're gonna continue for a few years because those priests are gonna be present in the church, but eventually more and more young priests are gonna be ordained and they're gonna be ordained with proper and true ideas about what the church has taught and what the church has always taught. So that you can be confident that there's gonna be less division among the clergy in the church. There's gonna be less, fewer false, false teachers among the clergy in the life of the church. This is a great sign of hope so that hopefully the people, those who remain, those who stick around with the church who are part of this smaller community can truly be strengthened and fortified by faithful priests of the Lord, faithful priests of God. On top of that, we see that throughout our country, there are more and more people, men and women, young men and women, who are choosing to receive the call of the gospel and become missionaries for the Lord. More and more young men and women are hearing the call of God, and so they're going out into the country, out into the world, to proclaim the gospel to other people. This is happening in a big way on college campuses with different organizations who are going on to college campuses. So Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, or SPO, St. Paul's Outreach. These are two organizations that form men and women to go on to college campuses and to find people who are eager to learn more about the Catholic Christian faith or even to find people who are pretty well down the road that is the way to destruction and to call them and to bring them onto the way that leads to life. There are other organizations that go into like high schools and put on retreats for high schoolers, net ministries, national evangelization teams. These are people who go into high school uh, age students and they, they preach retreats to them. They preach the gospel to them. I shared with you about how I'm actually a fruit of that, about how someone, a missionary, came into my life that I had no connections with. And I was on the path that led to damnation. And a missionary came into my life and showed me the gospel to show me that there's a better way. And it changed everything for me. This is something that's happening all over our country. And by no means am I suggesting that, that to be a disciple is suddenly gonna be like a majority thing that's taking place among our general population. By no means am I saying that. We will always be among the minorities. But what I am saying is that these missionaries are going and they're winning souls for Christ. More and more, what? More and more parents of young children are recognizing, I can't take anything for granted. More and more young parents are recognizing, like, I have to be intentional about taking, the, taking my role seriously as the first catechist for my children. And so they do what they can. They do everything they can to form their children in the Catholic Christian faith, to be the first teachers of the faith to their children. But it goes beyond teaching the faith. More and more parents are taking seriously that, that maybe I can't take for granted what the kids are learning in school. And so I need to be intentional about processing through all of that with my children so that my children can be formed as disciples so that my children can be on the path that leads to life. This is happening more and more often in our country, in our world. More and more people, old and young alike, are discovering in a fresh way the beauty, the incredible power that is found in the Mass. This incredible gift that Jesus gives us in offering worship to him through the Mass in the Holy Eucharist. More and more people are growing in reverence for the Lord. They're discovering, actually, what I talked about last week, about how there was a period of time, a big chunk of time, when a lot of priests were just offering Mass the, the way that they wanted to. And they're discovering this, and they're, they're, they're coming to their priests and saying, Father, I actually want to offer Mass the way that it's supposed to be offered. 
And it's not just that I want it, but I demand it because the church demands it of you. And young priests, again, because we're formed to be faithful to what the church desires, what the church expects of us, we're happy to oblige when people come to us and say, we got we to make some adjustments about the way that mass is offered, those kinds of things. There's great hope in this, actually, because our worship can be more pure and more righteous before the Lord, more pleasing and more focused on pleasing God than just simply on ourselves. More and more people are discovering the beauty, the richness, the wealth that is in the Catholic Christian faith through the scriptures and through the doctrine, through the lives of the saints. More and more people are coming to truly become disciples of Jesus Christ. This is a great time of hope in the church, even as we recognize that not everything is hopeful. Even as we recognize that, that yes, more people are falling away, but those who are sticking with it, they're growing because they want to grow and they see the beauty of it, the richness of it, the wealth of it. Now, like I said, I know not everything is hopeful, right? Because the world is going to keep being worldly. The world is going to keep going down the path that leads to destruction and pulling people with it. The hot button issues will always be hot button issues because the church is not going to change her doctrine, even though the world might insist that we do. And so there's going to be greater division between those who are faithful disciples of Jesus and those who are not. I know that, that maybe not all of us are excited about these, these possible uh, changes or these possible things of like, well, I, I kind of I like offering mass the way that, that we've always done it, and so I'm not that interested in making adjustments so that it's more proper. I'm not, I'm, I kind of like running my life and doing whatever I want, and so I'm not that interested in being challenged to change the way that I live or challenge the, uh, the way that I think. I'm not that interested in it, right? So like, I know that not everything is hopeful for you, and yet even within this place of, of, of a mixture between discouragement and hope, even within this place, the call of the Lord is the same. I mentioned it the first week, and I mention it basically every week. The call of the Lord Jesus is the same. He stands in front of you, and he says to you, I offer to you the choice between life and death, blessing and curse. That choice is presented to you, even while it's also presented to us. But still, it's for you. You can hear the Lord Jesus say to you, choose life. Choose life to follow me as my disciple. Enter through the narrow gate. It's hard, it's narrow, but it leads to life. 